Greetings, everybody. Scott Stevens here. And as promised, as I mentioned in the weather show just a little bit ago, uh, we're back for another perspective. Uh, Just one show this week since we took a Monday Labor Day off to uh, prepare for the snow that arrived last night and today. I had to do some guard work that it was just it was a holiday. So why not? We've got a lot of preparing to do. And that was part of uh, why for the first time in a few years in this house, uh, it was time to grow a garden. It was time to secure a little bit of that food supply, get uh, a stash of seeds, just do a little preparing. And if one thing COVID has taught us, the vulnerabilities, those vulnerabilities have been shown. They have been laid clear, you know, uh, across the planet where our weaknesses are. And here we are standing, approaching the middle of September, COVID bringing, or uh, let's just say breaking into the news at some point during January. It was a little bit behind the scene in December, but certainly by January, it came across my news feeds. Uh, and I don't hit that many sources, but enough of them. And they tend to be the ones that are banned on Twitter because they are, they're telling us something that we're not quite supposed to know just yet. So uh, I'm kind of all about visiting those sites that tend to be banned uh, for whatever reason, because then you're coming across some information that is uh, forbidden to know at this point in time. Hey, Vicky, good to see you over there as uh, we prepare for this October. So that's kind of what what I'm going to talk about. And we'll get into a little bit beyond that and, and more so just you know, what we kind of have coming. And there are so many sources of information out there. There are so many from the neighbor, from your family, from uh, the newspaper, from the media. And we even know the media. We would like to think that they're divided, that they're giving us two sides to a story, that we have a left media and a right media. But when you really look at it, we really that 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 doesn't exist at least in the mainstream part of it. The M, uh, MSM media they they they're all kind of owned by those six companies, and those six companies hold very very tightly to that possession. And the most valuable possession is your mind. It's your thought processes. It's how you view the world. If you view the world through a lens that is different from the one that they've put in front of you, then you become a threat, a liability, someone of interest, uh, a, a potential problem, and this is uh, this is kind of where you know we've all probably been at some point in our lives is 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 one of those problems. All right, let's start with this, and we're just going to call this uh, uh, preparing for October. Yeah, Vic, uh, right? Your mind is 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 your most important thing. You can travel with you. Take it. You take it everywhere. You take it with you. You know, it's not on a mo- mo- mobile drive, but you take your mind and your thought processes with you, and through that is what you view the world, is how you view the world. You view it through your experiences. You view it through your your prejudices, straight up. We've all got prejudices, and, and we view it through that, and then we come to judgments one way or another. And this is, frankly, what's a little concerning for me, is we've had the media inject prejudices, widespread prejudices against people for color, for points of view, for religions, for activities, for political parties, for beliefs. And the, 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 the media has become the religion through which the prejudices are now formed. And is a very, that is a very, very powerful position and place to be in. And that's, um, that kind of scares me just a little bit. I've got a sneeze. It's on the verge of happening, uh, you know, just because it's fall. All right. So preparing for October. All right. So for evil to ex- exert itself, it must first make itself known. 
For evil to exert itself, it must make itself known. Think about that. It's, even if we wanted to personalize it and, and say none of us have evil inside of us, we have thoughts that would maybe do harm to another. Sometimes those thoughts are just there to do harm to oneself. We tear ourselves down. We tear another person down. We like or dislike something just because part of that subconscious has been given that impression by the news, by your neighbor, by your spouse, by your kids. They say something to you and all of a sudden it has completely colored what was otherwise a neutral observation of an event, of a person or of a, of a theory or concept. So for evil to exert itself, it must make itself known. And you would think at this day and age, with movies and games like Resident Evil or even a television series that's on the air right now simply called Evil or one called Lucifer. There's there's a lot of evil out there and there's got to be a counterbalance on that. There's got to be a lot of good out there as well. So what is evil? Evil in a general sense, this of course, according to Wikipedia, because they would be an accepted authority. Um, is the opposite of or absence of good. It can be extremely broad concept, although the everyday usage is often used more narrowly to talk about the profound wickedness. It is generally seen as making multiple possible forms, such as a form of a personal moral evil commonly associated with the word or impersonal, impersonal natural evil, as in the case of natural disasters or illnesses. Interesting. In religious thought, and this is where most people fall in, the form of, it's a form of demonic or supernatural or even an eternal power. Evil, come on, come on, don't give away my secrets here. Evil can denote profound immorality. Now, this is kind of where I'm resonating with it, but typically not without some basis and understanding of the human condition where strife and suffering are the true roots of evil, potentially because those conditions in weaker people, if you will, and younger souls, if you will, they tend to lash out. They tend to, in those kind of stressful conditions, act out. They, they need to create or cause harm to another to sustain themselves. It's just the survival of the species. You could look at it through the, the, that lens. In certain religious contexts, evil has been described as a supernatural force. Um, elements that are commonly associated with personal forms of evil include unbalanced behavior, including anger, revenge, hatred, hatred, psychological trauma. We may be visiting that one once again. Selfishness, ignorance, destruction, and neglect. Uh, evil sometimes perceived as the dualistic, antagonistic, binary opposite to good. And that just truly makes sense. That is a very simple, a very broad definition in which good should prevail and evil should be defeated. So that if we're dealing with duality, can one even exist without the other? So then I thought, okay, what is good? You go look at definitions of good versus evil. And about the only term that really made sense to me was that of Dharma. And it's a complex word. It's certainly not one it's not one that I was taught in church. We were taught morals where, you know, and, and morals, if you will, slavery was proper and moral. If you had the means in the day, it was proper and moral to do this. It was proper and moral to treat your, your spouse, your wife that way. It was proper and moral. Fill in the blank. There was a place in time where almost everything that today we would consider irrational, immoral, 
that that action in time was essentially moral. So Dharma is a concept of central importance through Indian philosophy and religion. It has multiple meanings in Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, and Jainism. It's difficult to provide a single concise definition for Dharma, as the word has a long and varied history and has straddles a complex settings of meanings and interpretations. And that's beautiful because it can then be applicable to so many situations. And life is not black or white. Life is gray. You've got birth and you've got death. And pretty much everything in between that is some form of gray. So the root of the word dharma is dari, which means to support, hold, or bear. And it is the thing that regulates the course of change by not participating in change. And that principle, which means remains constant. So you could kind of look at it as a truth. Something that is true is true, regardless of the scenario that you find or it finds itself within. The the truth could then be a directional finder. It could be an arrow which finds its true mark. And that's essentially a truth is always true. So that's kind of where we wanted to begin this, that we've got to establish that, yes, there is an evil. And in my eyes, when I look at media, that is the side that is so often presented us, questionable motives, selfish motives, lustful motives, revengeful motives. Those kind of things are what we are saturated with from Hollywood. It is in our music. It is in sports. It is in education. It is in religion. All of these things are saturating us with this other side of the coin. So back on June 20th, I did a show called uh, titled Accountability because, well, that's really what I see lacking in the world, but I also thought it would be useful to be able to refer back to. And right now, largely all businesses, governments, NGOs operate by being one step away from accountability. And this separation provides deniability or the cover to operate questionably or purposefully inside the gray zone. The gray zone where you're not guilty, but you're also not entirely correct. You can get away with it. And as children, we learned that gray zone, how to deal with either school or parents or friends. We were constantly, constantly finding that zone with with which we were to operate. It's interesting that, that thanks to the CIA, and it's kind of a recent invention, we now have a term for this gray zone in which we can operate. So, and this comes from Richard Nixon, the most important thing is that we maintain plausible deniability. That's your gray zone. You didn't do it, but you knew about it. And we've been, and I thought this was, this one was just way too good to pass up. You had me at, well, make it look like an accident. So we're talking politics. We're talking business. We're talking operations of NGOs. If we're bringing slaves from Africa and bringing them as immigrants into Europe, and then leaving them on the doorsteps of nation after nation after nation. And what can happen but unloading some kind of turmoil on top of civilizations? And there's this push to open the borders, and there's also a push to keep borders closed. But what it historically did we open borders to? We opened borders as an opportunity for both sides. Those receiving the immigrants were going to benefit from their skills, their talents, their imagination, their potential. And today, NGOs are seeing that immigration as an opportunity 
to destabilize rather than to encourage and to create. So we flip from good to bad. We've gone from good immigration to destructive immigration, unsafe immigration, where then we have to babysit and then endure the taunts and the, and the crimes thereof. And it isn't always that way with immigrants, but there is a history now that has been well established in Europe. So back to plausible deniability. This was introduced into the English language in 1975 when the Frank Church Committee, an Idaho senator, uh, conducted an investigation into the intelligence agencies. It described the situation where the president was not informed of acts and such uh, actions such as to assassinate Fidel Castro, but in the view of the church committee, it was clearly in favor of the action. By not being informed, the president could state that he had no knowledge of the action, so he had plausible denial. Plausible deniability has been honed in government and in private enterprise and into an art form. We all do it at home with the kids, at work, with our mates, in our clubs, and sometimes, sadly, with ourselves. The problem for me is the plausible deniability is a phrase that equates to a lack of accountability. There are, however, telltale techniques that when we and others wittingly or unwittingly use, create at the basis of fallacious arguments that should let us know that we are being offered or are offering to us is simply not the whole truth. The technique that I've heard more often, most often used as of late is the technique of offering a plausible argument whilst setting up a defensive shield to deny any request to justify the original position embodied in a query. So what this gives us is a, is a room to operate. And when I was in Hawaii talking at uh, Earth Day back in 2012, I met a guy, fascinating businessman, but he was also an environmentalist. And he was employed to come up with a study that would state that fracking in the mid-1970s was safe. So they did the study, they did the work, and uh, they came up with a conclusion that no, 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 this can't be good. There's there's no situations in which we really should be doing this, maybe at a small scale, but not at a large scale process. Well, they had done the study. The contract was was for not a lot of money. It was either one hundred sixty dollars or $360,000. I don't recall which, but not a lot of money. But they would not pay the, the, the researchers until they came up with the conclusion which was desired by the funding agency. And I'm seeing that with the climate agency as well. So we've got a lot of, of science that is working within that gray area. They're coming up with conclusions, but yet have deniability. They've, they're working that gray area very well. So for, as we're preparing for October, which is uh, but 21 days away, if you can't win at the ballot box, we take power by revolution. And we're back to the uh, plausible deniability agency, which has participated in, funded, and engineered upwards of 60-plus revolutions, overthrowing democracies time after time after time, even monarchies out the door. If you're not part of the agenda or on board with us, then that's not necessarily something that we're interested in continuing with you. So what they do, how they get these revolutions going, it's accomplished by making us believe that evil comes from others. And that way you can rile a population one against the other. It's the same people, the same genetics, the same heritage, the same flag, often even the same religions. But yet they can turn one side to another from this one sentence by making them believe that evil comes from another. 
And when you're saturated with the media and listening to that over and over and over again, you begin to believe it because you're not told any other sides. And I hit this last week. It's just a quick rundown of some of the things that probably will happen in October. And these are going to end up stressing us as the, as the economy takes a hit, as the stock markets, and there's been so much money made in there, so much money. And then all of a sudden it's gone because it's not a real asset. So Ultimately, we'll be dealing with the currency issues and we're going to be, and this is what concerns me is this last paragraph, the people that have been conditioned by the media and each other for some kind of violent protest, some kind of potential army in what literally and by definition would be nothing but an insurrection. So that's, that's what I'm concerned about. So even when we have the uh, election in November, Nobody who agrees with it will be safe. And if Trump wins, undoubtedly there'll be attempts on his life. I mean, Reagan wasn't elected for too many weeks before he was, you know, shot at and Kennedy got through three years. So those people that are not part of the cabal, that are not part of the elite, that aren't towing the line or haven't been initiated into their club, to their group, to their belief system, they don't want them in power. They simply don't want them in power. So you, you can read these, but deflation and U.S. assets and then and winter comes. So the question is, what do we do now? As we approach elections, we and I probably each and every one of us have potentially lost friends and family that we don't talk to at the frequency that we used to simply because of politics, because of this. So I think the powers that be will soften the beachhead prior to and always during an assault. And that's the job of the media. That's the job of the protesters. That's the job. They'll take a legitimate social issue and twist it just a little bit so it isn't entirely true. It isn't entirely truthful. And then in reality contains no dharma because there are other rules with dharmic operations, dharmic activities, and dharmic actions. And none of that exists in this. So COVID obviously pulled the carpet from underneath the global economy. That's going to be tough to repair, even if there is a vaccine or if some bewitched moment and the nose twinkles and it's gone. How long would it take to get the economy back up if you removed that blanket over it? Would these small businesses just magically reappear? Would be we get funded and you get the customers back and you get all the all, all of the systems up again? That's going to take a long time. Uh, likely years, even with a vaccine, to get back to previous GDP levels. It's just going to take our, uh, some time. Lockdowns tested, they tested our willingness to comply. It's that simple. They tested our willingness to comply. The broken economy weakened our ability to adapt to the, to the new situation, as without employment, without our businesses, and continuing expenses that didn't just disappear because we couldn't go to work, we became cash poor. And then comes the magic pill, the vaccine. And then testing also our willingness to accept a resolution to the crisis, whether it's a true resolution or not. So one of the things that you have to kind of consider, and I think we were believe, we were all born in a time when you know, we're, we're looking around and going, oh my goodness, this 2020 thing, you know, this is like what I was taught as a kid. This is like the stuff I heard when I was growing up. You know, it's like end time prophecies. What is going on? So what is prophecy? 
you know, growing up Mormon, it was it was the Bible and that the leader of the church was a prophet, you know, whether his prophecies were true or not. And and I never heard one that didn't wasn't in hindsight just catching up with the times. So I can't I certainly can't say and I don't mean to, to demean or color anybody. And that's kind of exactly what it is, though, uh, that was true prophecy. There wasn't true prophecy. So guidance comes in many forms some ancient wisdom, and that would be biblical scripture, or even old texts discussing what may have happened before. And since all life is a cycle, maybe what happened before would be applicable once again. You've got to question that. Other sources are old religious sources, those texts and scriptures, while newer sources, the ones that are more, I don't want to say relevant, but relevant to what is happening today. And then there's even time travelers that pop in now and again because they have been somewhere and seen. And if the technology is proven, then these obviously, these examples would exist. So the more newer, the newer sources are always going to be more plentiful because they're fresh. Even our own dreams and inner experiences are, in my eyes, the most valuable forms of individual prophecy, where you yourself getting some kind of a message to assist you through what obviously is coming ahead. So the greater, the more impactful the event, the more people will be briefed in, if you will, in the events and then how to respond. So if we are end times, then that means every single one of us on this planet would be impacted in some degree. And we all know and all are psychic to some degree. Each and every one of us, we have those internal subconscious, superconscious, and soul conscious aspects to us. Not one of us is without those. So those apparatuses are always operating. But if we're angry, if we're afraid, if we don't have time to be still, then you'll never hear their messages. And then the only thing they can do is try to get in there at night and maybe pass something on to you. So little by little, we got to pull back from what's happening out there. Pull back from the programming so you have a little time to listen. So we must be open to receiving information, alerts, warnings, guidance, reassurances, wisdom, and directions from this guidance. It is given more clearly and frequently when you've demonstrated the ability to follow through because you've then honored the guidance given. It's like your mom or your dad. You honor the chores that they've asked you to do, and you don't get punished for doing what you've been asked to do. So let's go to an October surprise. In American political jargon, an October surprise is a news event deliberately created or timed or sometimes occurring spontaneously, a naturally occurring event to influence the outcome of an election, particularly one for the U.S. presidency. Because the data for national elections, as well as many state and local elections, is in early November, events that take place in October have a greater potential to influence the dot, dot, dot. In 2016, this was one of the larger ones. It was one of the larger ones. We had had this email scandal going on for many, many, many months. I really should say years because it had gone on for since at least 2009. But more emails showed up. And of course, there was the question of the investigation of, of the candidate running at the time. So while in 2020, it may well be the investigation into the 2016 campaign rigging that is the October surprise. 
So in opinion pieces and letters, they warn that William Barr, the current attorney general, may be preparing to spring an October surprise. There's one big reason for that. Recent testimony from the attorney general himself. Democrats are monitoring the status of investigation by prosecutor John Durham, who appears to be looking at intelligence gathering and other actions by the Obama administration in 2016. Barr tapped Durham to look into the origins of the Russian investigation. And when Mueller didn't turn out the way they thought, when impeachment didn't turn out the way they thought, then they've got to go to something else. So, hey, you're kidding, right? An October surprise from space? Hey, it's a possibility. This uh, was actually an asteroid that has what is termed, in quotes, a non-zero chance of impacting Earth. And usually NASA's like, oh, it'll miss by one lunar distance or 10 lunar distances or 30 lunar distances. But this one, actually some of the models have it within 300 miles of Earth literally skimming the top of the atmosphere. And at these speeds and 300 miles up, there is atmosphere up there. There are satellites up there. So we would be able to see it. The thing, though, is so small that we only observed it for 12 days when it swung by last time. And for every orbit we go around the sun, it goes around exactly one half. So that means every other year, these two objects, 2018 VP1, will nearly intersect. But the, call, the the orbits have been so close, or the last encounters have been so close that the last time we encountered it, we altered its orbit a little bit. So these non-zero opportunities for impact are something to be concerned about literally just before the election. Thought we'd throw it up there because I'm going to go back to prophecy. It has been seen that this impact will happen. Whether it happens or not, the revolution is still underway. The Purple Revolution is not about love. It's about intolerance and hate. We're back to evil here. It is a desire to destroy America, as many of the elites from both political parties, remember they're a part of a cabal, they take an oath, a blood oath of allegiance to this group, to this power, to this agenda, they take an oath. They even have, have sworn an oath on, on, on the Bible for the Constitution. So in my eyes, there's a conflict. And which one will they honor? There are ex-soldiers called the Oath Keepers. And it'll be interesting to see where they arrive on this game. Um, because ultimately, I believe that they will organize and will. But nevertheless, this is, is a desi desire to destroy America, as many elites from both political parties have been doing for decades, to usher in the globalist one world government. And this was a, a paper released just within the week. Bipartisan Washington insiders reveal their plan for chaos if Trump wins the election. So a group of partisan neoconservative Republicans and establishment Democrats have been simulating multiple catastrophic scenarios for the 2020 election. It's interesting. It's catastrophic only if their side loses or one of the cabal members running loses, even if he's already lost his mind including a simulation where a clear victory by the incumbent provokes unprecedented measures where the Biden campaign would could take to foil a new Trump inauguration. And you can read the story. It's a simple Google. It's been reprinted in many, many places. And it 
lays out the war games of what it's called the Transition Integrity Project. They justify these exercises as specifically preparing for a scenario where President Trump loses in 2020 and refuses to leave office, potentially resulting in a constitutional crisis. However, according to tips on documents, even their simulations involving a clear win for Trump, in the upcoming election result in a constitutional crisis as they predict the Biden campaign would make bold moves aimed at securing the presidency regardless of the election result. So there's there's a lot of information here. It's been repub- uh, published all over the web, and they've done games. Literally, he wins by a little bit. He wins by a lot. It doesn't matter. They will widely contest the election and probably in as many jurisdictions as they could possibly have. So... Uh, let's go. Our values are taught by the filters of our family initially. This is from Karen. What are their values? I remember a historical photo of a young child, four to five, in a KKK world and hood. He was taught the values of of what most consider horrific, but it was the good values his family believed, and probably for generations. And undoubtedly, that stayed with the kid. And I, I have this saying, and I heard it, I don't remember where it was from, but it's been around for a while, and is that that is progress happens one death at a time. As the new generation comes in, and as we clean up their thinking, and I, I don't mean in, a, in, a, in, a, in an angry way, but in, a, in, a, in a seeing things from the higher point of view, that we can begin to change that that mentality that has been with humanity for thousands and thousands of years. And it was slavery... Slavery it isn't good in a way, but we're all slaves to, to the money. We're slaves to looking good. We're slaves to being right. We've chosen to be slaves for a lot of things. And undoubtedly, if you're if people are slavery and it's still rampant in you know, in many, many places, there's trafficking that still deals with slavery today. So it's uh we let's just say that a lot of people yet have karma associated with slavery that they're still working out. And that's why it exists to this day, is there are debts that are being paid from previous lives. And until that account is cleaned, there will be slavery. And if that debt has to be cleared and it has to be worked through, meaning lives have to be lived where you're a slave to another. And if there is no slavery on planet Earth, those souls will go somewhere and live that slavery experience where it still exists. That is the beauty of an eternity to work out your stuff. All right, so here we are in a a little bit of a review. They're going to make us believe that evil comes from others. Revolution, whether we want it or not, whether the, the previously peaceful transference of power happens, you know, some kind of revolution will be under the way. We all, there'll be a fork in the road and each of us will choose silently or vocally. Right now there's the mantras that uh, silence is violence. So there's a fork in the road that we'll choose. Prophecies playing into it. And undoubtedly I'm anticipating that there will be some pushback uh, from, from the left on the prophecy that calls it out. A choice or a series of choices to be made once you choose a side and then recognizing the source of the forced choices upon us. Do you vaccinate? Do you mask? Do you go to work? Do you stay at home? Do you believe this? Do you not? And then you have to live with the decision. That's kind of the big one. You've got to then live with it. So your decisions impact others always. And then the motto is always do no harm. And undoubtedly, 
and forever accountability will always visit the maker of the decision. And in Eastern religions, that is simply called karma. All of the grief, all of the anger, all of those actions being acted out and will probably yet accelerate nationwide, all of those actions carry costs. Whether you could walk away from a violent protest, harming, hitting, beating, breaking, all of that is a debt you will carry with you the absolute rest of your life and beyond. And there is a growing aspect of consciousness which believes that when you die, it ends. And that ain't so. That debt has to be accounted for. And that is the beauty of, well, I've got all eternity. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. To work it out. All right, George Takai. Each of us bears a responsibility to reject hate wherever it is from. Wherever it is justified, a soul filled with hate can devastate a community. A nation filled with hate can devastate a people. And I have an uneasy feeling that we're getting close to crossing a boundary, a decision, a fork in the road where it will be very difficult to turn back from. That we've talked to talk and we've gotten people so whipped up and so hot that how do you turn it off so you can come back to a negotiating table, so you can bring some sanity into the discussion instead of just irrational reactions to whatever is the topic of the day, whatever is the movement of the moment. But it must start and end with each and every one of us. And that's where we are. We're at a point where we decide to stay with it or we back off and allow these elections and allow these processes and allow people to make their own decisions and you have to live with it because your decision, especially the violent ones, impact others and there ultimately is a cost to pay for each and every one of those. All right, I had an end card in there, but uh, I don't see it there right now. So that's kind of what's happening in our world today. Exactly, M- Michelle, exactly. It's, it's not easy, but uh, we... The choices we make are easy. And once you make that decision, then a whole other set of opportunities opens up for you. I'm going to go join a protest, and I know I'm putting myself at risk. I know I'm putting myself in physical danger, that it might be a mortal decision, a fatal decision to go participate in that. We don't know anymore. It used to be you could have peaceful protests, but that time seems to have passed that now things are just so hot that we have to be really, really careful about what we choose to participate in. All right, guys, uh, thanks for stopping in. Good to see you You in there. Uh, some on my page, good old Metadime, and we've got a couple other shows, uh, several shows. Uh, uh, the Coffee Break Show, I was on that with Vicki. I'll repost that on my, on my profile page here because we had a great talk about weather, climate, a breaking down of the food system, the fires. I don't think we can we can yet comprehend how big they're going to get because they're going to run away from the firefighters. The mother nature is not going to be greatly beneficial in in the short term. Uh, the winds could turn back up really quickly and turn back the other way. We've had strong, strong east winds driving those fires west. And the cool thing is, though, if they turn around and come west winds, then they're they're pushed back on already burned territory. But uh, there, there's more time for those yet, and it's early. 
it's early September. California fire season often peaks in October, November before the, the, the seasonal rains begin. All right, Tracy. Thank you. Yeah, kind of a show. It, it it did okay. I wasn't quite sure how I wanted to take this. But, you know, we're all in this. We're all in this. And if it, the more sensitive you get, it hurts to see what happens to people. It hurts to see the random person come up with a skate, skateboard to whack somebody on the head. It hurts. It hurts because you can empathize with the fellow human beings. But so many of us are, are stuck and being driven back into our animal natures. And that is a very, very dangerous place, is to treat each other as no more than animals when we are truly human beings, you know, and sons of God. All right, guys, thanks so much. And I'll catch you on Monday with another, uh, another perspective. And then yet again, uh, two more weather shows coming up tomorrow, five o'clock mountain. Have a great night. In the meantime, keep looking up.